We're going to be in 1 John this morning. You can uh, grab your Bible and head there or just use your bulletin. But what we're going to see in 1 John is that giving and sharing so that other people can have life in Jesus, that is the dead center of the heart of God. And we'll, we'll keep going through 1 John, and we'll see it's also the dead center of a genuine life in God and joy in God. So if you've given, I just want to encourage you that you're participating in something that is right at the center of God's heart. And if you haven't given, I'd just like to encourage you uh, to let this passage warm your heart. I hope, I hope that you see uh, that God loves to overflow and to share, to give life to others. I hope you're led to give as we just see his heart here. Before we dive in to 1 John 1, a couple of things. Uh, many biblical authors write clearly with lots of clear structures. If you've re read much of the Apostle Paul, uh, you'll see his arguments are very logical and there's lots of uh, ways to understand them. The Apostle John is not like that. John is more like a poet. There's gonna be some things left intentionally unclear, some images here. There's two I'd just like to point out to you so you can understand them as we read. The first is life in verses one through four. We're gonna hear all about this life again and again and again. Uh, I just want you to understand that he's talking about Jesus Christ. We'll see that as we dive in, but just understand that before we read. Second, we're gonna see in uh, verse five that God is light, and this image of God's light, of his shining, transforming, revealing glory uh, controls all of the little tests that we'll see in verses 5 to 10. So let's, uh, let's dive in, and we'll hear the Lord's voice through 1 John. 1 John 1, to the end of the chapter. That which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we say with the psalmist, this God, his way is perfect. His word always proves true and you are a refuge to those or you're a shield to those who take refuge in you. And this morning, we just pray you'd help us to see that your ways are perfect. Wherever we are this morning, please help us to see that your ways are perfect over our lives. We pray that your word indeed would prove true, that it would land in us, that it would transform us. And we pray you, you'd be a shield to us as we take refuge in you. you pray, I pray you'd help the people in this building uh, to experience taking refuge in you as we hear the scriptures together. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. 
He's being raised in the church. He has already accepted Jesus into his heart on two separate youth retreats. But right now, all he feels in his Christian life is guilt and boredom. She loves Jesus, but with everything she's going through right now, she does not feel like he's good. One couple's been praying for a wayward child for years. Another couple's been praying they could have a child for years. And neither yet has been answered. He fell again last night. Same sin, again. He's here this morning, but he does not feel like God could ever love or forgive him. These are all people whose either personal sins or circumstances have shaken their confidence in God. They might believe that God exists, they might in fact be a Christian and believe in Jesus, but they have no confidence that he's good. Uh, Confidence, according to Google's dictionary, is the feeling or belief that one can rely on something. It's a firm trust. Notice, I love this definition because it's not just a belief intellectually that something is good or something's reliable. It's a, it's a feeling. There's a heart response. When, when something bad happens, my heart responds to God with confidence. If that's what confidence is, biblical confidence, confidence in God's goodness, a heart response to him in all of life, we're all in need of some confidence this morning. And something has happened to this little congregation that John has written this letter to. First uh, John was written to a church that was going through a church split. If you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 19, really quick, if you have a Bible open, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. There was a group of people in their church, uh, probably some leaders, some very gifted teachers, in fact, that started teaching false doctrine and, in fact, started claiming that the rest of the congregation weren't Christians. And so just imagine for a second, your Sunday school teacher or the guy who led your teenage son to Christ becomes a heretic and leaves your church. You might, you might still love Christ, but you might be shaken a little bit. This church is going through some spiritual PTSD. And if we're honest, uh, many of us are in the same place. Uh, if the Pew Research Center is correct, then 23% of the people in this room are currently in the middle of a crisis of faith. They're either doubting uh, Christianity is true, they're doubting whether they in fact are Christians, or they're having some kind of life circumstance that's shaken them to the point where they're not sure they believe anymore. One quarter of the people in this room. Uh, Many of us were raised in a time when Christian values were received in American culture greatly, and we've seen that shredded in the last 20 years. All of us have had life beat us up. And John has two encouragements for us to give us confidence and assurance. He says here, if we will embrace God's life, and if we will walk in God's life, we will find confidence and all the spiritual and emotional power that comes with it. So first, let's see that Jesus Christ is God's eternal life revealed, and we will have confidence as we embrace that life. Look at the end of verse 1. There's this phrase called the word of life. We see it again in verse two, the life was made manifest. This life was with the Father and made manifest to us. Since the life was with the Father and has been revealed or manifest, that can be nobody else besides Jesus Christ. That's who it is. And you might be wondering, John, why don't you just say that? Why don't you make it easier for me to read? Well, there's a couple reasons John wants us to 
have, he wants to paint a picture for us. Uh, notice he calls Jesus' God's word. He's the word of life. Uh, word in the original language can mean uh, message or speech or communication. The idea here is, what is God's message to the world? It's Christ. That's his message, Jesus. And what kind of message is this? It's a message of life. When we read the word life, we're not supposed to think of everlasting existence. I used to do middle school ministry and knew many middle schoolers who were afraid of eternal life because they thought they would just be bored in heaven forever. Just keep going on and on and on and on. And uh, many of us maybe live like that, but life here is meant to, the word is vibrant. It's meant to give you that time you really felt alive, the most love you've ever felt, the best time you've ever had. That's the idea here. And notice where this life comes from. Verse two again, this life, the eternal life was with the Father. Notice at the end of verse three that our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. The idea here is that before the world was created, before there was such a thing as time, the Father and the Son and the Spirit were enjoying each other. There was life, joy, relationship, desires met, dreams fulfilled, forever ago in God's nature. And God so loves to share. He so wants to share this life that he created. And when mankind rejected his life and chose other things, God so wanted to share his life that he sent Jesus, God's son, this word, this message of life. So if you need a little confidence that in the middle of the mess of your life right now that God is good, that he's being good to you, just consider for a second that if the scriptures are true, the only thing God can do is love. The only thing he can do. Everything in your life falls under the umbrella of God desiring to share his life with you, for you to partake of it, for you to have fellowship with him. That's his providence over everything going on in your life right now, even if you can't understand it. He loves, the only thing God can do is love. Uh, there's a great author, we'll reference his book in a moment, named Michael Reeves, and he says that all of God's attributes, if God is Trinity, if he's always been in relationship with himself, all of his attributes flow from his love. God's justice, his sovereignty. Reeves says that God's wrath is what happens when pure love meets evil. God can only love. You can have confidence today that he is loving you, he will love you, he will receive you. It's kind of indescribable when you think that that's what God is really like. But notice, uh, for our confidence, God has given us this word historically and reliably. Look at verse one again, the, the pains that John takes to help us see that Jesus was an actual person who entered history. That was from the beginning, that's Christ, right? Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands. John's saying here, I hung out with God's son. He was resurrected. We had dinner together. I touched him. We shook hands. He was here. And it wasn't just here with me, right? This whole passage is plural. We've seen him, right? The, the Christian faith is the only faith in the world that has historical evidence 
eyewitness accounts, multiple people witnessing God breaking in on history. Maybe you're that college student who spoke up in class and got skewered by your atheist professor, or you've got some friends who've got some really great, smart-sounding arguments. When you dig really deep in worldviews, the only one with a shred of tangible, eyewitness, historical, reliable evidence is Christianity. Every other worldview is made up. Don't you know the dominant worldview in America today? Moral relativism, that you do you and I'll do me and we'll all be happy, right? That, that worldview, it's made up. People just sat around one day and decided this would be a good idea. There's not a shred of evidence. Have some confidence in your faith as we experience a culture that's transforming and departing from biblical norms, as you're interacting with people who disagree with you. I'm not saying you should throw this at them, but as you, as you encounter challenges and worldviews, have confidence that you have firm foundations. You actually have historical foundations. So far, we've seen that there's this vibrant, overflowing love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And this love is so great and so uncontainable, it's spilled over into history, spilled over into the cross, and that he's given us this offer of his love in a way that is historically reliable. So maybe if you are uh, kind of checking out church, maybe someone's brought you here, drug you here, and you're wondering, what is Christianity all about? What does it mean to come to Jesus? Here, John chapter 7, verses 39 to 40, Jesus stands up in the middle of a party and he yells this out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Just notice, Jesus knows we're thirsty. He knows you're thirsting for life. He knows that you're living because you thirst. And he says, what it means to come to me is to find life. It means to drink. Now, you must come the way the Bible says to come. Faith and repentance. It says you trust in Jesus alone and his life and death to save you. You turn away from all those things you're, you're living in, all that, that pattern of life opposed to him. But when you come that way, he satisfies you. He gives you what you've longed for. He pours out happiness on your life in him. And he doesn't just pour it out. He fills you up. Look at what it says. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You get so full, your life overflows. You have abundant life. just want to ask, how can you refuse someone like that? I, I know you might be scared that giving up the lifestyle you enjoy right now might be hard. How can you refuse someone offers you life? Come to him. You know, uh, coming to Jesus to find life and satisfaction is not just for people far from him. Let me ask you a question. If you're someone who's trusting in Jesus to save you this morning, are you trusting in Jesus to satisfy you? I know in my life, uh, a lot of times I will, uh, I'll let Jesus answer the big questions for me. I'll let him answer the you know, who am I? Where do I go when I die? What should, you know, what's the purpose of my life? I'll let him arrange some of my time, right? I'll have some devotions. I'll commit some time to the church. But what I'll do is I'll live my life like I'm going to find satisfaction somewhere else. I'll pour myself into the next workout plan or doing the whole 30 or, or my career, thinking ministry is going to satisfy me. I'll pour myself into my marriage expecting the next date night will finally satisfy my soul. Many of you guys are living there. I just want to say, when you... If you want to find confidence in God, 
If you want to know him and have, have the brimming over confidence for your life, you must embrace God's life as your only hope for satisfaction. You've got to cry out like Psalm 90 does. It says, Lord, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. And this, uh, this kind of life that enjoys, that pursues God, that finds fellowship in his presence, uh, it's not a one-time thing. It's not, a, it's not a light switch. It's a lifestyle. I know so many people who are like, this year, I'm reading the Bible through in a year. And they get to Leviticus and they're like, no. <laughs> Going back to my Bible app, verse of the day, you know. And, and what's happened here, okay? What's happened is they've expected that joy in the scriptures is going to go like this. I open my Bible. It's easy. Boom. Done. And that's because we live in a day where right now, as I'm preaching, I could pull out my iPhone, push a button, and order something from Amazon Prime, and two days from now, it'll show up on my front porch. That's the day we live in. We live in a day of instant gratification. And we expect that our Christian life's going to be like that. So many of us haven't really tried with all of our hearts to see Jesus' face, to experience his life. And the reason is we just have wrong expectations. I just want to encourage you. You want confidence for your life and your circumstances? You want to be able to look at a terrible thing happening to you and say, like Charles Spurgeon, I know God's too good to be unkind. I know he's too wise to be mistaken. So when I can't see his hand, I'll trust his heart. You want to be able to say that and to feel that? Seek fellowship with God with all of your heart. Make it a lifestyle. Being with Jesus, seeing his face, enjoying fellowship with him, that is where confidence is found. But we see next in the text that uh, God's life, this life we can find confidence in, is an infectious life. It gets in the hearts of people. Look at verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. And do you notice John's motivation here? John has become like his God. All he wants to do is share. He wants other people to have this fellowship. He's been so filled up with this life, this giving, overflowing life of God that his desire now is that other people can come to the party. He wants other people to experience it. Notice the quote from your bulletin here. I'll just uh, take a moment to pitch this book to you. It's called Delighting in the Trinity. I think it's maybe the best recent Christian book. Uh, if that title scares you, it has lots of pictures. Okay, don't be afraid of Delighting in the Trinity. It makes you laugh. It's really good. But here's what he says about mission. The Father sent the Son because of how he so loved him and wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. The Son went because he so loved his Father and wanted that love to be shared and enjoyed. The, the mission comes from the overflow of love from the uncontainable enjoyment of the fellowship. So it is with God, the Father, sorry, excuse me. So it is with the Father and the Son, so it is with us. The Spirit catches us up to share their pleasure, and it is that delight in them that fuels us to want to make them known. If joy is for every Christian, if delight in God is for every Christian, then evangelism is for every Christian. And it's not the part of the sermon where I whip out all of those commands and beat you over the head with them that we should be going to evangelizing. Actually, uh, I think what this text demands is, is much more than that. 
God doesn't want us just to do these actions of sharing Christ. He wants us to become the kind of people who long for lost people to know Jesus. He wants us to long in our hearts that others can share the life we have. I uh, woke up three Fridays ago. My uh, bride was going to work, and so I had three kids. It was great. I embraced that. But uh, she left, and I walked into the kitchen and started splashing and splishing everywhere. The, uh, overnight, the house had flooded on my downstairs. It was miserable. Uh, I had a minor panic attack. I started sending texts. They weren't spelled right because I was so freaking out. Anyways, uh, my wife let some of our good friends know. And within an hour, two of our best friends were in my house with a dehumidifier, a shop vac, and cleaning supplies because they know us and they know how messy our lives are. Anyways, they, uh, they spent three hours at my house. And I kept being like, you guys can go now. But what blew me away the whole time was that they weren't just helping a friend out because I needed them. They delighted to serve me. They wanted to be there. You know people like that. It's their heart's reflex to bless you. No less than that is God's will for your life when it comes to sharing Christ with other people. He doesn't just want you to do it. He wants your heart to be transformed. And only the Spirit can do that. Maybe the first step is just to, if it, to long that you would long or to pray that you would pray. Just ask God to do this in you. All right? it, it's for your joy. There's no confidence like the confidence that comes from seeing God work through you to transform the lives of others. There's joy there. And just practically, this isn't in the Bible, but I've found many times in my life that oftentimes... My, the transformation of my heart will begin with baby steps of obedience. Sometimes I have to do things that I don't feel like doing yet, and as I do them, I then become the kind of person who delights. Um, if you've been at East Cooper for a while, you've probably heard of something called Your Three. We like to talk about three people in your life who don't know Jesus. You write their names down, you commit to praying for them on a regular basis, taking the next step with them, and having a spiritual conversation with them at some point in time. Maybe that's where you start. Just take a baby step towards this. Pray that God would change you. As you embrace and proclaim God's life, you will find confidence. So consider again the best news there could ever be at the heart of the universe. The one controlling history, the one controlling your life is full of life. And he loves to give. And he wants to invite you into a life-giving relationship with him. But just notice before we uh, move on that life-giving relationships are always doing two things in our lives. Just notice with people, okay? Life-giving relationships are always transforming us and changing us. And they're always revealing who we really are, right? Your, your, Your friends change you. The people you hang out with change you. In fact, uh, some of you have been married for a while and you've started even looking a little bit like your spouse, right? The people you're around change you. They're they're infectious. Um, But life-giving relationships also reveal you. You didn't know you were a slob until you got a roommate. You didn't know uh, you were selfish until you got in an argument over who gets to work out and who has to wash the kids. You didn't know you were impatient and judgmental until your best friend starts being really needy. Relationship is transforming and it's revealing. And what we're going to see next uh, is that John's going to say, if we have relationship with the God who is life, 
It's going to be revealing us and transforming us. John's going to give us some tests here. He's going to say, if we say and if we do. And these tests are help us to understand if we genuinely have life in Christ. And the reason he's doing this is because he loves us and he knows that there are people in the world who are going to have false confidence. What's false confidence? Is believing you were someone that you're not. It's me whenever I try to do house projects at my, at my house. We, uh, one time, this is probably the clearest example, I said, babe, I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to hang up that flat screen TV. It's going to take me an hour, and we're going to have dinner. It's going to be great. Three hours later, after stripping all the screws that I owned, drilling five or six useless holes into my wall, I finally called a buddy who knew what he was doing. During the three hours that I was doing this, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. My neighbor pulled into his driveway with wood from Lowe's, uh, got his saw out, cut all the wood, and built himself a front porch. <laughs> and... What the world is revealing to me in that moment is that I am not who I think I am. I might think I'm good with my hands. I am not good with my hands. And the Lord Jesus is very clear in Matthew 7 that there are people who are not who they think they are. That they will call themselves Christians. They'll even participate in aspects of the Christian life. But at the end of time, on the day of judgment, they will hear from him, I never knew you. And the Apostle John cares enough about all of us that he does not want us to be those people. And I just want to encourage you before we jump in, assurance of salvation is something we like to avoid. Uh, if we get a, a sermon that really gets us, our instinct is to turn on Netflix until we feel better about ourselves. And I just want to encourage you guys to not do that here. All right, John, John is drawing us in. He knows that confidence is found, not when we check the box from what happened 15 years ago and what we're doing right now, but, but when we're actually in fellowship with God. So just, just come here with me. Here's verse five is the message and six through 10 are the tests. The message is this, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is kind of a little bit of a complicated verse. Uh, some commentators say that his light is just God's moral perfection. I think that's uh, not quite it. Verse 7 um, says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from sin. That doesn't make sense if, God, if God's light is God's perfection, right? Because then we're walking perfectly like God and yet we're still needing our sins cleansed. I think uh, John actually helps us understand what light means later in the book. In uh, 1 John 2.10, if you have your Bible in front of you, it says that whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Notice the connection between love and light. Again, in 1 John 4, 8, the only other time John, John says that God is something, he says God is love. I think the idea of God as light must be controlled by the idea that God is love, that, that what is light about God, what is transforming and revealing about him is this love between the Father and the Son and this love that poured itself out in Jesus. Like 2 Corinthians 4 says that, that there is a light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That's God's light. So here are the tests. First, if we say we have fellowship with God, if we're Christians, the God who is light, and we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this is, this, well, this, this, this is when someone claims to be a Christian but the pattern of their life is opposed or empty of God's transforming love revealed in Jesus. 
The idea is that God's love will be transforming you. So if you're walking in the darkness, if you're walking in a pattern opposed to God's transforming love, you are deceiving yourself. Let me give you a couple of just practical ways you might be able to discern if you're walking in the light of God's transforming love. First, uh, walking in the light of God's transforming love will be transforming your beliefs. Uh, Seeing that God has loved you a sinner in Christ will humble you enough to receive whatever the scripture says, no matter how unpopular it is, no matter how unpleasant it is to your own personal feelings. When the Bible talks about God's judgment, if you've been loved in Christ, you can receive that. When it talks about what morals are or what you should be doing or how, how you should be laying your life down for others, doesn't sound very much like, like a lot of fun. If you've been loved in Christ, if you're in the presence of God's love, he'll humble you enough. It'll be transforming your beliefs. Walking in the light of God's love will also be transforming your affections and your attitudes, especially your attitudes towards people. Again and again, this book says that we've got to walk in love in this outward desire for other people to be blessed if we're gonna know Jesus. So listen, I just wanna say very clearly, if you're saying you know Jesus and you have a list of people who've wronged you, you're not walking in the light. If you say you love Jesus, but all you can do is spew venom about American culture and the people in it, you're not walking in the light. God's light changes your heart. It gives you a longing for people to be saved. Finally, walking in the light of God's love will transform your lifestyle. When Paul, the apostle, talks about his lifestyle, he says that the love of Christ controls us. The model for my life is God's son laying his life down. That that's a model for me. That that what I do is I lay my life down for people. God will be doing that in you. Now, I want to make a very important clarification before we try to apply this text. And that is, is that in the original language, these verbs are all present tense gives the idea of ongoing action. You could say, if we are walking in the light, if we're doing that. And that's helpful because what we're talking about, we're not talking about the past. We're not talking about being perfect. What we're talking about is present progress. It doesn't matter where you were 20 years ago or two months ago, whether that's a very good place or a very bad place. It doesn't matter. What matters is today. Are you living in light of God's love for you? Are you letting it shape your attitude towards people? Are you receiving it as a gift? That's what matters. Present progress. Again, it's not a light switch. It's a lifestyle. A lifestyle informed by God's love, a lifestyle lived in light of it, builds confidence. So light transforms. Light also reveals. If we are in the presence of God's light, it is going to be showing us all of the darkness of our hearts. Notice the next test. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. These two little if we say statements about sin are both kind of casual attitudes about sin. They deny that sin is an ever present power in my life. The first one's saying, I'm not having sin right now. So that'd be like, if I asked you, when was the last time you sinned? And you're like, hmm, 
Two nights ago, I got really angry and yelled at my wife or kids or friend. John would tell you, you're deceiving yourself because you have isolated your sins to individual actions and not as the light reveals them, as an ever-present companion. The other one is more like, if I asked you when the last time you sinned was, or I told you, you know, get together with someone around you and confess a sin and you couldn't think of anything, right? That happens in your small group sometimes. Uh, that would mean, hey, you're, you're, you're calling Jesus a liar. Jesus has said, we don't just sin, we're sinners. Think about this in, in, in view of the light, right? The light of God's love in Christ reveals a God who has perfectly loved, who has bridged gaps for people, who has poured himself out for sinners. That light is the standard for our lives. If you're living in that light, you will see how far your life falls short of that. See, man, I, I, might, I might have improved from 10 years ago, but I am still a very long way from a God who pours his life out for people. How does this work? How do we understand how this, how do we grow in Christ but see more of our sin? Um, look at your bulletin. There's a little, uh, little interchange here between, uh, from the movie Shrek. Um, Shrek's this kind of strange animated film. It's a parody on all fairy tales ever, ever. The main hero is an ogre and his sidekick is a talking donkey and they're walking around and uh, Shrek is trying to communicate that he's complicated. He's, he's sharing his Enneagram with donkey. Just kidding. You probably don't know what that is, but anyways, um, he's, he's saying ogres are like onions and the donkey funnily says, they stink. They make you cry. And ogre says, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. We have layers. We're complicated. And what do you think about the movie or that interchange? If Shrek and Donkey are talking about the human heart, they are both right. The human heart stinks. It will make you cry when you see it. But I think most importantly, it has layers. And, 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 once, and as you grow, what's happening, to use the, to the image here, is one layer is being peeled back. Right? Like when I was first converted, my, my layer was very clear. I had a filthy mouth. Right? I illegally drank under the age of 21 and I had immoral relationships. That layer was very clear. And as I walked with Jesus, as I read the scriptures, as people in my community confronted me, the layer got peeled off. I'm very thankful for that, praise God. But then, if I'm walking near Jesus, the light shows, shines very clearly on the very next layer, probably a more internal layer, probably something harder, harder to get rid of, something that's more dealing with my, my heart and not my actions. And that's gonna happen to the day I die. And, and it doesn't, the, the point is not that I'm overcoming the present layer very quickly and clearly. The point is that I see it, that I'm aware of it, that I'm broken over it. So I'll ask, what layer are you seeing this morning? Don't run away from it. That is not the way to confidence. In fact, if you're not seeing a layer this morning, the layer might very well be resisting what God has said about you in the scriptures. That he said that you're not just someone who sins, you're a sinner, that you're broken. And what it looks like to peel that back, to have the light shine on that, is to do what John says in uh, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession here is simply agreeing with God. It's saying that he's right about, what, about uh, who you are. It's coming to him through his provision in Christ, through trusting him, through resting upon him, through turning away from the sin you see right now. 
Look at what happens when you do that. He is faithful, so he does what he says, and he's just to forgive us our sins. That word just is surprising there, but it just shows us what the gospel is. The gospel is the truth that Jesus paid for all of our sins. That if you're a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you're confessing, if you're coming, then your sins have already been paid for. There's nothing more that could be done to make you right with God. There's full assurance in life there. As you're coming and confessing, and you're seeing his provision for you, and you're being cleansed, there's confidence. And that's not just for someone who is far from God or seeing that very outward layer. Uh, This is the path to all Christian confidence that you're his. If you want assurance of salvation, the path is right here. It's through seeing your sin. Now that sounds kind of strange. You almost think that seeing the evil inside of me would make me lose my confidence. In fact, you probably experienced that. You fall into sin, you lose your confidence. How does it work? I'll give an example. We're uh, teaching through the book of Revelation in young adult Sunday school class. I was tempted to do it here, but I love you guys too much to jump into that. We're in the middle of the book. But uh, Revelation 13 was last week. We talked about the two beasts, these end times figures, at least in my interpretation, that will rise up and do all sorts of terrible things. Whatever your eschatology is, anyone who reads the passage can agree that the devil's end game is to have all the peoples of the earth worshiping him. It comes over and over and over again. He's blaspheming God. He's having all the peoples of the earth worship him. And... Um, I talked through the text, it went okay as the middle of Revelation can go. And then we're in the next service. I'm helping lead the service. I'm doing the offertory prayer. And I find myself just really concerned about getting the welcome right, making the offertory prayer good. And I realized just for a second that what's going on in my heart is I want the admiration and approval of the people here. And Revelation 13 tells me It's not something we all struggle with. It's satanic. It's beastly. And it's been living in me all this time. I haven't even seen it. And God's light shone on it. But here's the great thing. We were in worship and we were singing about Jesus dying for our sins. We were singing about him meeting us in our brokenness. And what happened was all of a sudden, with fresh eyes, I've been a Christian for 12 years, with fresh eyes, I saw the beauty of the cross. Jesus didn't just die for the sins 10 years ago that I'm past and feel good about. He died for what lives in me right now. There's confidence that I'm his, that he's taking care of me, that he's working in my life. Confidence in the Christian life is backwards. Look at your bulletin one more time. Very bottom, from the Valley of Vision, there's a prayer here that we could pray. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, the repenting soul is the victorious soul. If you want confidence in God, admit the truth about yourself. Let his light shine on that layer in your heart today. Confess it, turn from it, fight against it. See Christ forgiving you there. So church, 1 John 1 today, we have seen that genuine confidence in God, this heart response to him that says he is reliable, he is good, whatever I'm going through, that does not come from looking in the mirror or looking inside or looking around at your life for tangible signs of God's blessings. 
It comes from looking away from yourself to him. There's this uh, king in 2 Chronicles, he's facing an army, and he says this, Lord, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. There's confidence there. Fix your eyes on the love of God poured out in Jesus. Fix your eyes on the light of that love. And even, even as it reveals who you really are, and you will find confidence. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we say with your people from old that we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We're, we don't know what to do in our circumstances. They're beyond us. Our sins are entrenched in our hearts. But we fix our eyes upon you. And I just pray for people in this room, wherever they are, that you would enable them by faith to see you, to see your glory and beauty, and to find all the confidence and joy you long for them to have there. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.